certain things are difficult to unsee. Certain images and feelings are hard to unremember. Like the final scene in The Usual Suspects, in which Agent Kuyan realizes who he's been talking to this entire time. You know the scene I'm talking about, even if you haven't seen the film. It's so iconic, it's almost impossible not to see a parody or a homage before you see the original. If you haven't guessed the image already, I'm talking about the coffee cup falling and then shattering in slow motion between Agent Kuyan's feet. That image, the cup of coffee falling in slow motion, comes to my mind whenever something dramatic unfolds in front of my eyes. For example, whenever I drop my phone, I see it falling in slow motion. And I pray that my phone screen hasn't broken. But too often, it has. And when it is broken, there are only two thoughts that can distract me from the sadness that comes with the realization that the beautiful smoothness of a scatheless screen has ceased forever. First, I know I'm not alone in this. Broken screens are so ubiquitous that characters in shows and films are often seen handling phones with fractured screens. These fractures have become a mark of realism. We've reached a new era in the popular imaginary. Unbroken screens are the stuff of stories, of make-believe. They have no place in realistic representations of life. No matter how much it sucks, having a broken phone screen makes me feel real. Second, unlike humans, I often find phone screens more beautiful when they are shattered. Unlike humans, they break in a very particular way, which seems different from how glass breaks. Phone screens break into the shape of a spider's web, and I can't help finding something enthralling in these spidery fractures. Until I actually want to use my phone, then this sense of aesthetic appreciation for the fracture vanishes. And since I always feel real anyway, if I'm being honest, even when my screen isn't broken, 
there really is no advantage to it breaking. What can I say? I tried. But the truth is, it just sucks. But that doesn't mean that there is no value in a broken screen. At the very least, it has made me aware that certain memories, like this scene from The Usual Suspects, have a way of rooting themselves in our minds, and they impact how we remember the past, and how we can place that past in the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. And there is one other thing to learn from broken screens. There is no worth in things that do not show any signs of wear. This is World of Noise. It's hard to say what we wear down the most. Our bodies, for one. We tend not to take great care of them because they can compensate for so much, particularly when we're young. As mechanisms, bodies suffer fools relatively gladly and for quite a long time too, before they begin to break down and rebel against our desires. We also tend to neglect our minds, whether that's because we take them for granted and rarely ever challenge them and fail to confront them with things we're not familiar with which is a much more useful thing to do than to pursue one or two interests into unfathomable depths of complexity. Or whether it's because we simply fail not to harm them. Because a lot of fun things aren't good for our minds. But just because something isn't good for us, does that mean we shouldn't do it? Everyone needs to answer this question for themselves. There is no right general answer. Though just for the record, it's yes. The problem with taking care of our minds isn't just that we are happy to wreck them by indulging in unhealthy habits like drinking or taking drugs or practicing an austerity bordering on self-flagellation or overworking ourselves or procrastinating ourselves into existential paralysis 
or letting our guard down with people who don't really care about us. These are habits we fall into because they help us deal with or refuse to acknowledge problems that have their roots at a much deeper level. Memory How we think How we feel How patterns of thinking make us feel and how our emotions shape the way we think. All this is grounded in memory, or rather, in forgetting. Forgetting is such an integral and necessary part of our daily lives that we tend to forget how much we actually don't remember. If we remembered everything, we'd end up thinking ourselves into catatonic shock. Imagine what it would feel like to have every moment you've ever lived through still inside your head. You think you get exhausted and depressed by looking at social media feeds? They have nothing on total recall. And I mean the concept, not the movies. Think about it. How much time would you have to spend on Instagram, for example? How many photos would you have to look at before that creeping sense of dread that you're worthless and everyone's having a better time than you starts to set in? 100? 1000? 2000? It couldn't be much more than that, right? But if you suffered from total recall, if you remembered everything, how many impressions would strike you in a day? If you sat there during your morning commute, looking at your phone while listening to a podcast, you wouldn't only remember every word you listened to, every image or caption you saw, everything that caught your eye outside the window, every piece of lint or dust or hair stuck to your screen, every new crease formed in your pants when you shift in your seat, everything you overheard, every change in light, every announcement, every smell, and so on. I have no idea out of how many of these impressions a day is put together. But they certainly would outnumber any other stimuli we could encounter in daily life that would send us reeling into insanity if we encountered them in such density. So, forgetting is important. But still, it's frightening to think about how much we forget, particularly because by definition, we can't know what we forget. Take dreams, for example. Most people I know 
remember their dreams except for a brief time after waking up. Even an hour after regaining full consciousness, everything except a vague image or feeling has vanished. And it's interesting how the feeling of a dream remains even while the actual dream has slipped through the grasp of our memory. But even that feeling fades. Everything grows fainter until nothing remains. A day or two later, we might already have forgotten that we ever had a dream. What if this is how we remember, or rather how we forget, most of our lives? Don't get me wrong, life isn't a dream. It's very real. And what's more important, it's not something we can wake up from. No matter how much we want some moments to pass, to just leave them behind us, to forget them forever, we can't ever skip one. Not a single one. The only thing we can do is remember or forget. And that we do without even trying. But often we don't get a choice. We remember what we'd be happy to forget. And we forget what we'd rather remember. I wish I knew why I remember what I haven't forgotten. There are some cases which are clear. Memories about first things, for example. Memories about formative experiences. It makes sense that they remain. I remember the first day of school because it was exciting and terrifying. I remember my first kiss because it was exciting and terrifying. I remember the first time I was picked last in gym class because that was the first time I had felt collectively rejected by people I called my friends. I remember the first time someone was physically violent towards me. When the captain of the soccer team in the place I grew up in cornered me outside the locker room after open tryouts and pushed me against the wall and choked me with one hand and punched me in the gut with the other and told me that I shouldn't bother coming back. And I remember how years later I found out on Facebook that this guy had gone on to become a professional athlete who had shown some promise, but then had broken his leg in a car accident for which he was responsible because he was drunk driving, and who now had no career to look forward to because his body, his most valuable possession, had been broken and his reputation ruined. I remember that moment because it made me genuinely happy to think about his misery. I'm not proud of that but I also can't deny that it happened. I 
I know it's true, because I felt so ecstatic, I couldn't stop smiling, and I took a selfie and sent it to my best friend without a caption. She wrote back saying, you look so happy, and then added the emoji which Apple officially calls smiling face with squinting eyes. And I was, I was smiling face with squinting eyes happy. I have a photo to prove it. I remember the first time I heard Gimme Danger by Iggy and the Stooges. And I remember that moment every time I kiss someone for the first time. Because before I find out how they kiss, there is still a chance that it will feel like the ocean breeze. I remember the first time someone broke up with me and said, I don't love you anymore. And I realized that by saying that, they didn't mean, I don't love you anymore because you've changed, or I don't love you anymore because you've wronged me. But that what they really were saying was, I've come to know you and I have stopped loving you because I dislike who you really are. I remember things like these because they are important to the story I tell myself about myself. But I also remember other moments, and I don't know why. Like the first time I got a pair of Velcro sneakers. Like a lot of kids, I was bad at tying laces. Usually they ended up too loose and my heels would lift out of my shoes when I was running and then the sole would catapult upwards and smack against my foot the way flip-flops do. Which is a noise I find confusing to hear because it sounds very similar to people performing coitus more ferrarum. You know, doggy style. Not that I thought that back then. Back then, sex noises were incomprehensible to me. They issued from behind closed doors or muffled TVs at night, and they sounded vaguely threatening and discomforting. They made me feel like I was simultaneously in and removed from the world in which they were happening. A very similar sensation to listening to the X-Files theme. I remember the sound Velcro made very clearly, as if something had been torn. It reminded me of the sound of dimensional portals that would rip through the fabric of time and space in the old sci-fi movies my uncle liked. I remember the feel of it too, one side soft, downy, like the tuft of hair on a newborn baby, or the outer shell of a worn out tennis ball, the other prickly and always intertwined with dust and lint and hair. 
there always was this sense of anticipation and sadness when I saw a brand new pair of Velcro sneakers. Because I knew this pristine cleanliness wouldn't last. The same way I know that the screen on a new phone will not remain unbroken forever. Like memories. Memories aren't things we live through once, but countless times. By definition, they happen to us again and again and again. Forgetting is the opposite. The things we forget remain untouched, undamaged and unfelt. They don't come back to us. We don't have to relive them again and again and again when we lie in bed late at night, intractably awake. The things we forget remain unraveled and unagonized. But every time you do remember something, every time you relive that memory, every time you revel in it or agonize about it, that memory become something more than just your past. That memory begins to exist beyond what has happened to you. It defines you as more than what you once were. It defines you in the present of that moment of recollection in relation to who you once were and who you will become.